the reason that I put that up there is our, our happy cow that uh, most business owners, I look at them like self-milking cows. They try and uh, do it all themselves. They're trying to make the milk and milk themselves and pasteurize it and package it and take it to market and sweep up around the shop and send out the invoices, all that stuff. But then at a certain point when they understand and realize that they can do something that nobody else can do. They can make milk content ideas. They've got the ideas, right? And you're talking about in the cash cow world. And when you realize that if you have the ability to make milk, you can be in an environment that surrounds you with supportive farmers, people who can do all of the other things that are uh, required to have a thriving dairy operation. Welcome to the Producer Mindset, where we interview industry leaders about entrepreneurship, marketing, business development, and overall what it takes to run a successful business in, but not exclusive to, the real estate industry in today's age. Dean Jackson is often regarded as the marketing Buddha, a marketing philosopher, and marketing genius. And he'll show you how to use marketing as the ultimate lever to a life of freedom and fun. Dean is widely known in the marketing world for pioneering the original squeeze page where you enter your name and email to access a web page. He's the author of Breakthrough Blueprint, the eight profit activators you can trigger in your business right now. He's also the co-host of the I Love Marketing podcast, where him, along with Joe Polish, have interviewed people like Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, Robert Cialdini, Jay Abraham, Dan Kennedy, Chris Voss, Peter Diamandis, Damon John, also the host of More Cheese, Less Whiskers, Listing Agent Lifestyle, Welcome to Cloudlandia, and The Joy of Procrastination with Dan Sullivan. Without further ado, here's Dean Jackson. Can you hear me now? Dean, thanks so much for coming on. This is long, long overdue. I'm sure... Hopefully this isn't the first one because I'm sure we can dive into so much fun stuff. Um, but really, the one thing that we ask everyone that comes on is one day you're born, now you're on the producer mindset, fill us oh. out on what happened in between and you can give us a five minute, five minute or 10 minute or however long you want to. Well, you know, I was time. born. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is funny. Okay, the quick math here. So I started, I was, I'm a dual citizen, something most people uh, don't know. I was born in Canada on a U.S. Air Force base to a Canadian mother and a U.S. father. So I got all of those things going for me. Um, growing up, I ended up, uh, I think the two most impactful things were falling in love with the results economy very early in my life. I've only ever had one job. I got a job at a bowling alley with my friend Neil <clears throat> when we were 14, because you had to be 14 to get a job and minimum wage was $2.50. And yeah, I worked all day at the bowling alley and two evenings. And I did it for two weeks till I got my first paycheck. And then I realized that's really not that, it's not worth it once they start taking out money because I had <clears throat> a paper route and one of the things that we got the opportunity to do was sell these coupon books door to door. And I really, you know, I could make 18 or $20 an hour selling these coupon books door to door, just going to 
meet people, which was way more if you're doing the math than $2.50 an hour. And I had the realization that hanging out at the bowling alley on Saturday and playing video games is way more fun than working at the bowling alley on Saturday. So I would go and do some, uh, sell some coupon books in the morning, and then I'd go hang out at the bowling alley. And, you know, that was it. But so I've never, I, that was the beginning. I realized it's way better to, uh, you know, work in the results economy than working uh, by the hour, renting yourself out by the hour. And so I got the first uh, career thing that I had was in real estate. I got, uh, you know, my real estate career started 1988. I was 22 years old, you know, and that was the beginning. And I've never, so I don't count that as like a job because it's results economy. You know, you you make what you make because of what you uh, what you do. And I really discovered marketing in how it applies to my real estate business. That was my love. I loved marketing. I loved figuring out that you could put words on paper and get people to call you instead of making cold calls. And uh, so everything's been a progression from there. I quickly figured out a really great systematic way to grow my real estate business. Um, and if you've read Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth, that was the the beginning of the the journey and i fell in love with that idea of the franchise prototype working on your business like you're going to duplicate it five thousand times so i figured out i was documenting all the things that i was doing in my business and one of which was creating a guide to alton hills real estate prices where uh it was you know for people who were moving from toronto out to Alton Hills. And I documented that whole process. And then I did a guide called Toronto and Beyond, 40 great places to live within an hour of the city. And I started licensing that system to 40 different real estate agents around um, Toronto. And that was my first kind of entry into having a business that helps other people get uh, business. And then around that time, I met Joe Stump and Joe and I teamed up and did uh, built by referral only for uh, 15 years together. We uh, built that into one of the biggest coaching companies in North America. And all of those things I was learning, uh, you know, built my marketing foundation. And then in 2010, Joe Polish and I started the I Love Marketing podcast because Joe's background had been doing the same things I was doing for real estate agents, but for carpet cleaners. And we both realized that all the things that we learn are applicable to any business. And so that was the beginning of the I Love Marketing uh, podcast. And now here we are. That's really I've amazing. made it. I'm here. You made it. Made it. <laughs> you, got, you got here. So yeah. with the I Love Marketing podcast, I mean, this is before podcasts were a cool thing to have. Yeah, I've had a podcast since 2005. Wow. And let me tell you, when I first started, there were about 500 podcasts. So I, had, I started the Marketing Monday podcast. And to let you know how far back that goes in the beginning, the iTunes podcast, uh, you know, index was really that. It was just 
a sortable uh you know spreadsheet like thing where you could sort by alphabetical by category and by popularity and uh so i you know was kind of gaming the system there i titled the podcast dash 10 marketing ideas in 10 minutes dash at marketingmonday.com and uh so it was always alphabetically at the top which boosted the popularity so there's two out of three and then i was in the marketing category and it was uh you know very successful to this day it's still on there it still has lots of uh you know got a great over 100 episodes of uh that podcast up there uh too that's awesome that's really one cool. thing so i don't know when at what at what point you kind of coined the moo method for you know podcast but can you yeah. kind of talk about that and the and how that can apply to let's say somebody trying to grow their business using content well perfect so you know you you see a lot of cows around our world here this is the little our uh, mascot for the idea of the self-milking cow and you know the reason that i put that up there is our, our happy cow that uh most business owners i look at them like self-milking cows they try and uh do it all themselves they're trying to make the milk and milk themselves and pasteurize it and package it and take it to market and sweep up around the shop and send out the invoices all that stuff but then at a certain point when they understand and realize that they can do something that nobody else can do they can make milk content ideas they've got the ideas right and you're talking about in the cash cow world and when you realize that if you have the ability to make milk you can be in an environment that surrounds you with supportive farmers people who can do all of the other things that are uh, required to have a thriving dairy operation uh, kind of thing you know and so we everything that we do that was the beginning the genesis of the who not how idea is to ask yourself we would always say the you know the happy cow says who not moo it's a you know it says who can do this for me and if you i always encourage people to take a piece of paper and write down the process of everything that they do in their business from beginning to when somebody, uh, you know, the, the completed transaction type of uh, thing. And if you look at everything that doesn't require you, you're just asking yourself the question, could somebody else do this for me? And so we look at something and we draw what we call the milk line. And that's just being an honest assessment on your thing is what is the thing that only you can do and put your little thumbprint beside that because that's the only thing that you should be doing. And so when you realize this is where creating content, doing podcasts, doing video content, TikTok, all of that stuff that so much of it is farm work compared to making the milk, right? Like if you're, we developed this idea of you were asking about the moo method, yeah, which yeah. We, we coined 
this phrase of multiplied oral output. That's really what the Moo method is. And so, you know, I've done podcasts and still do for, uh, you know, a lot of different podcasts. But the way that I do them is I'm only making the milk. I dial in and I speak and then I hang up and then everything else that needs to happen to support that podcast, edit it, transcribe it, distribute it, strip out the relevant content, make, you know, derivative content, making articles, emails, blog posts, all of that stuff gets all done by other people. And that's how you multiply oral output. You know, it's like the fastest bandwidth way to get yourself into this kind of economy where other people can do things is you've got to have it digitized, right? So you've got to get the ideas out of your head and into a digital format. Mm -hmm. And the fastest bandwidth way is through your mouth. You sit right where you are with the camera pointed on you and talk. And as soon as you get it out of your mouth, it's captured in a digital format and that can be transcribed. You've got video, you've got, uh, you know, so many different things that can happen from, from that all done by other people. Right. Yeah. All the farmers. That's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, um, I kind of want to dive into that a little bit deeper, mm -hmm. um, like the type of content and mm -hmm. kind of not being afraid of what you're sharing, like of, of adding value to people and educating people yeah. um, and motivating, motivating them. Um, one thing that I love that Alex Ramosi talks about is he's, he always says, don't be afraid of, of what you're sharing. It's like, if you're scared of what you're sharing, that's good, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you give the information where away, you sell the implementation. Mm -hmm. And another thing like Dan Sullivan says, when <laughs> before the internet, you had to keep your idea a secret and now yeah. or your method or your strategy or whatever yeah. it is to solve someone's problem but now you have to be the first one to share it to everybody yeah. and that's kind of on the ledger that's of right i'm stamped right exactly yeah. that's kind of yeah. the thing you put out like often if the first things that i'm saying is like you go back and this is where that the whole idea of who not how was a concept that i developed and first spoke about to uh dan we talked about it in a strategic coach uh workshop but we talked about it on the podcast that dan and i do together we, we did we've done two podcast uh series together one was the joy of procrastination and now welcome to cloudlandia but once you talk about something and it's out into the world it's time stamped and there's the digital like you called it the ledger the digital evidence that your that's your idea like i had so many people you know the the concept of the nine word email for instance has taken mm -hmm. on this whole like uh it's everywhere uh kind of thing but everybody does people try and pass that off as their original concept or every time anybody talks about the nine word email somebody's coming in in the comments saying oh that's dean jackson's uh, idea or yeah, yeah. whatever or most people <laughs> give you uh give credit when you're sharing somebody else's uh yeah but getting it that's out there only good things happen 
speaking of that, you know, one of the things that we've been doing lately is we've been going around different offices and giving classes out on how to develop and build your personal brand, mm -hmm. why you need to go ahead and work with farmers who can help you get the milk out in front of more mm -hmm. people so that, again, you know, your farm keeps growing too and you can get yourself more. Um, but one of the concepts that we've been teaching and people seem to love, and I know that there's a couple more listeners to whether it's the I Love Marketing podcast or the Listing Agent Lifestyle podcast is the concept that you taught us uh, at a lunch that we did in Orlando about a year ago or so uh, of brand, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's talking about the buyer's reflex affecting now decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to look at a word like that and just break it into like honestly the simplest way of explaining brand <laughs> that it I really can think is, of. isn't like, it? I mean, we that's... sell these things and it's like, wow, Dean said that, and it's like till this day, it's just like Dean Jackson taught us that, you know. But it's profound, yeah. Yeah, right. tell us a little bit about why why that's so important nowadays, mm -hmm. really. Well, I'm I am a, a simplifier and a scientist kind of at heart. You know, I'm always looking to think about well, what what are we really trying? to do there like what is branding about and so you know, I started observing that when people talk about brand they they talk about the you know the biggest brands coca-cola and budweiser are the two kind of examples that everybody would say undisputedly are the you know top brands in their categories and so i started thinking about so what have they done? I started realizing that the only, uh, the, the what people are measuring is the scope of the brand, right? That they've got the widest distribution and more people know about Budweiser or know about Coca-Cola. And, but what I really started realizing is that if you want, I think what spurred that thought for me was watching uh, Ray Dalio's video on how the markets work. Have you seen that? Where he explains mm. how the market is made up of individual microtransactions where one person is trading goods and services with another person for an exchange of money. And the total number of those micro transactions equals the size of the auto market or the size of the beer market, that this is how many individual transactions there are. So when you hear somebody say, you know, the, the beer business is um, $11 billion, I don't know what it is, but whenever people talk about it like that, that's kind of the, the um, what they're referring to is the amount of the total right. of, of the micro transactions. So I realized then that the only real value of a brand is in the minds of each of the individuals, right? It doesn't, you're not getting it. It's not that you're impacting a wide number of people is that you've got a depth, a foothold of an established, you've established a brand in the mind of an individual. And so I started thinking about that, that what that really, where, where you cash in on a brand, the value of it is in the moments where they have to make a decision on what they're going to buy. 
So for a beer company, you can know and have heard of Budweiser, but it's only valuable if they've established along with that a buying reflex that when somebody says, would you like a beer? The answer is, I'll have a butt. And I realized in that moment that you don't compete with a brand like Budweiser by trying to come at it with scope. And that's what people do when they see these big companies. They think you've got to shout your brand, your name, your company, your slogan louder and broader to more people. But I started realizing that I don't know this to be true, that this is a uh, brand, but I started thinking about somewhere in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, there's probably a microbrewery that makes a Puxatawney pale ale or something like that, that when you are within a certain radius of Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, there's going to be some number of people that are when faced with the choice of what beer to buy somebody says would you like a beer some people are going to say i'll have a puxatani pale ale and that's where our real hope is that most people are not trying to build a coca-cola or a budweiser and what you can emulate from it is that you can work hard at establishing your brand, your buying reflex within those individuals in your target area. Most small businesses are trying to get 15 mile famous. That's all they're focused on is the people within 15 miles of them, uh, of themselves. And That's it's much easier to establish a brand in a small, manageable group like that. Right. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like this kind of like perfectly segues into what do you do to establish that buyer's reflex and mm -hmm. the kind of like uh, from coming at it from like a content perspective um i really love the like the simple framework of compelling convincing and collaborating yeah and, and using that as your content strategy mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. could you kind of talk about uh maybe like a, a takeaway like an actual takeaway that a real estate yeah. professional can do right now when right. creating content yep so one of the things is initially is I would do, I would have the primary purpose of my content be to turn invisible prospects into visible prospects. Meaning I want, I'm not trying to convince people to choose me or to do anything. What I'm trying to do is identify the people who are in the market for uh, whatever we're doing here is our, is our primary audience realtors here that we're um yeah real estate yeah. here yeah, so, yeah yeah so in a real estate example uh i was just recording a listing agent lifestyle podcast today with a guy here in winter haven and we were talking about this idea of compelling and convincing and visible prospects and invisible prospects so when you realize that what you're trying to do is the, the best outcome that you could have with your, uh, you know, Profit Activator 2 advertising your before you trying to identify the right people is get their email address so that you've got a way now to turn this anonymous 
audience member, like if you take that 15 mile radius around Winter Haven, and we, we were talking about focusing on lakefront homeowners, that lakefront mm -hmm. properties are the most expensive uh, properties in, in Winter Haven. And so there's two sides of that. You've got the sellers, right? The potential sellers, the owners of lakefront homes are visible prospects. There's 2000 homes and there's 2000 individual people that own those homes and you can get a list of them to know them by name. So you can do some level of convincing in your, uh, you know, you're trying to establish that brand in those 2000 people. But what you can't get is you can't get a list of people who are dreaming about owning a lakefront home. Those are invisible prospects. So sellers are visible, buyers are invisible prospects. You need both, right? So it's always when we're focusing on uh, the 15 mile zone that we're trying to establish there, what I'm looking to find is all the people in that zone that are thinking about buying a lakefront property or a horse farm or a condo or a townhouse or an equestrian property or golf course property, whatever kind of category there are. And I always lead with information. I always lead with things uh, that would be valuable to the people who are gathering information. And, you mm -hmm. know, you guys have seen the project we're doing in, in Longboat Key and in Fort yeah, yeah. Myers. So we're offering the beach condo price report and building a list. We're up over almost 3000 people now that are were invisible prospects. But now we've got a list of 3000 people that expressly presented with an interest in beachfront condos and we're able to send every single week an email to those people with a 45% plus open rate every week with all the new condos that come um, on the market and then we're making it super easy for them to take the next step whenever they're ready we've got our super signature there for them in every email that lays out this simple next step so we're presenting that buying we're trying to trigger that buying reflex yeah that if they want to look at homes join us for a daily tour if they want to get the money right talk to your dad get a, a 90 day rate lock or a free home loan report so we're trying to orchestrate that reflex that we're presenting it to them you know you know, one of the things as you, as you were talking about all of this, and I mean, you're working your way into getting getting these invisible prospects into visible into, and turning them into visible prospects, apart from the ones that you already know exist, like yeah. those 2000 homes. Um, a lot of times, particularly within this industry, this is met with resistance because there's the want and the need for the result right now. Mm -hmm. Something like what you just mentioned of acquiring emails and getting the 2000 people like, how how would you, or how do you explain or even get somebody like an agent to see like, hey, look, 
you might start mailing to these 2000 right now, but your results yeah. might come in next week, just mm -hmm. as much as they could next year. So where, where does the breakthrough moment happen for them? Um, you know, so that's all a good, uh, it's a really good point, you know, is what is the, um, when you get people to think in terms of a capital investment, as opposed to an expense-based approach, most people are thinking about the internet marketing world or, you know, the instant result thing where they're going to run the ad, they're going to generate a lead, somebody's going to buy right away, and they're going to judge the success of the ad campaign that they did on whether somebody buys right now. But the reality is that that's not the way um, it works, you know, that there's so much more value in the long term. And I try and get people to think about instead of taking a, that expense-based approach, did the result pay for the ad in the first 30 days before the credit card bill is due or and, and reframe it as making a capital investment and the asset that they're investing in is turning a list of invisible people into a list of visible prospects. And if we get a hundred of those that we look at it, that what is the value of that bundle of a hundred leads today? that asset, what is that going to yield over the next 100 weeks? What is that going to be worth in two years? Now, I based everything that I did on a you know study that I found years ago when I really first started looking at lead conversion. And I found a company that does that uh, inquiry handling, lead generation and, and dispersion for on an enterprise level for big companies, millions of leads a year. And they did something smart. They went back to all the leads that they were generating, no matter what it was for, went back 18 months and they would call people at 90 day increments. So they went back 18 months and said, you know, hey, you came to the home show 18 months ago, you inquired about faucets. Did you ever buy any faucets? That's all they're asking. It's the only question, right? Or did you buy a car? Did you buy a fridge or whatever it was that they did? Because it didn't matter what it was. But what they found was that just over half of the people that inquired about anything would buy what it is they inquired about within 18 months. But only 15% of them would do it in the first 90 days. So that means there's five times more value in the long term than in the short term. And by the way, in most real estate situations, 90 days to most people is the super long term follow up anyway. They're not, they don't even have, they're looking for the nine day leads where they come in today, yeah. they go out and look at homes and buy one next weekend. That's what they're looking for. And if that doesn't pan out, they don't have the stamina to or the realization that those leads are going to be valuable, right? That's really good. I love that. Hey there, really quick before we dive into today's podcast, would you do us a favor and rate and share this podcast? 
that would help us out tremendously for blowing this thing up. We're not really big on asking for these types of things, but we really want to expand and be able to bring on more cool people like today's guest. If you can take a minute, it only takes a minute. That would be great. All right, let's get to it. The kind of kind of off topic a little bit from from creating content and turning invisible prospects to visible prospects. It's a story and I've never asked you about this story, but I was doing some digging and I was, I think it's called the new money makers or something. It's Tony Robbins handbook or his PDF that he put together. Okay. And can you talk to us about that story? How it, how it came about? What happened? So which story are you talking about? When he interviewed you for the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, well, that was simple. I mean, we had done a, um, Tony, this was back in say 2009, and uh, Tony was just kind of getting into the internet. He wanted to really kind of learn the thing, and he's the kind of guy that goes full immersion in stuff. So he had someone on his team. He said, "I want you to put together like a dream team of all the people who are doing stuff um, online." And so he had us all out. We did a. a day within like a workshop uh, day where so it was uh, me and Evan Pagan and Frank Kern and Mike Koenigs and Marie Forleo and all so it was a you know nice uh, group because it was he wanted to go full immersion in applying the marketing stuff for his and then he realized wow this is a real thing and so he did a series called the new money masters and I was one of the first uh, the first um um, interviews that he did. So he flew down um, here. We did, uh, we played golf and did the recording um, at my country club. Uh, and that, you know, became a big, uh, a big program that he, uh, that he uh, put out. So that's how that came to, uh, came to be. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. So that was 2009-ish, yeah. you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hey, it. there and it is. The new Money Masters. That's right. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I just looking at it and kind of looking through the I like the I love marketing podcast. That's you know so many just amazing marketers mm-hmm. on that and business people in general on that podcast. And I remember when I was really first kind of getting into marketing. Um, you gave me a prescription for the for a do a DIY MBA, and it was yes. the first fifty episodes of the I Love Marketing podcast. Right. It was my life in advertising, Claude Hopkins, uh-huh. um, the Boron Letters, and then uh-huh. break and then breakthrough DNA. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's like for somebody that's looking to really step their marketing up and leverage all the new technologies and all the great things that are becoming available to us nowadays mm-hmm. that we weren't able to utilize, let's say yeah. in the 60s or, you know, pre, pre-mass pre internet. What would you say, like, what's the prescription for, um, you know, real My estate agent, I would say. get everybody, I would encourage that email is the killer app. Email is the answer. And no matter what, everything else that you're doing should be in service to getting people on your email list. And I have this whole collection because I make it a point to do this, that my news feed is flooded as yours is 
with all these things purporting to be emails dead, this is the new thing, right? This messaging is the new thing. Texting is the new thing. But without fail, when you click on the learn more, it takes you to a form that asks you for your name and your best email address is the second thing. I have these things to draw it out that they want your name, your email address, and then further down, they ask for your cell phone, for your text thing. And it's amazing. Even all these social media things, nobody reads email anymore. Try and go join any of these social media things. And what's the first thing you need? Email. You need your email address so we can send you important information about your account. Email's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And it's really the thing where you're not gonna get canceled from either. You're not gonna get throttled back. You know, when Facebook started out, I, my thing about Facebook is to watch what they're pushing and avoid it at all costs because they're building up, whatever they're promoting for you is building up their next ad inventory that they're saying in the beginning, Build a page, build a page so you can have fans and you can, whenever you post something, you'll get direct access to them. Well, now you build all of these followers and you only get about 5% organic or less distribution to that group. You've got a thousand fans or 10,000, you're getting 50 or 500 people to, to see it. And you've got to pay to get in front of them. You've got to boost your posts or you've got to, you know, anybody, that's one of the greatest things about Facebook is it's full of open source lists. Other people spend all this time building these fan pages that now you can select and run ads to, and you didn't have to do anything to get yeah. in front of those people. So they're promoting now um, groups. That's a big uh, thing because right now there's no, you've got a wall garden and you can have a private group that well, nobody could see. But I guarantee you it's, you know, moments away from being able to monetize groups that you'll be able to advertise specifically in a group um, uh, setting of people. And even in the time that they've been doing advertising, it started out that it would be one, the ad uh, ratio would be one ad in every seventh post is how it first started out. And I just watched the other day, they bumped it now to it's every third post is an ad. You're, you scroll through your whole newsfeed and it's all, uh, every third post is a sponsored post. So where does that go from there, you know? It's really, Absolutely. it's interesting. And in a world where now every third post is an ad with someone, I mean, I honestly think that, I mean, we've seen it on your postcards. Uh, we've seen it on your nine word emails. How do you see somebody breaking through with like a pattern interrupt or something? If, if I'm well, getting those, hit- That is, I look at those as digital postcards. That's the way that I treat it is I treat that news, that scroll, because each post is basically about the um, size, the full screen, right? So I look at that as a, that surface as a digital postcard and I try and get everything to fit right in there. And the simplest things are 
the winners. You know, a picture of a book with a great title that is specifically compelling to the people that you want to be in contact with and nothing below the fold. I'm not trying to convince anybody or add any new information or anything. I just want them to see that and respond. And the funny thing is we get about the same kind of response rates that you get from postcards, like on a CPM basis, you get that same um, kind of thing. So I always look at it again in bundles. If I look at if we can generate a hundred leads for $3, you've invested $300 in this bundle of a hundred leads or $3,000 in a bundle of a thousand of them. And then we monitor what is that worth when you continuously send emails to them now for free, right? Mm -hmm. By the way, because once you're sending your emails is virtually free to send the emails to them and you've got no other, uh, you know, when they choose to open your email, they're voluntarily then reading everything um, that you have. As long as you're adding value, right? That's the whole game then is to make your emails welcome, make your emails compelling that they want to open them. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. I kind of talking about email. I love that analogy, by the way. Yeah, it's like they tell you it's dead and then immediately are ask you for it. So they yeah. can they can market hey, to you. Email's dead. Let me tell you about this other thing. What's your email address? <laughs> it's so funny. It's so <laughs> yeah. true. The first time you said that, I was just like, oh my goodness, that's that's so so true. Yeah. Um talking about email and getting people's email um for access to some sort of value. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first time you used, let's say, landing page, or um, I guess well, this yeah, landing is, you page. know, you guys are right around the time you were born. This yeah. was uh, the internet was being born, and I invented something that's become known as the squeeze page. Mm-hmm. And my realization in that was that. I was looking for um, opt-ins. I realized then that the most valuable outcome I could have from a visitor to the website is that they leave their name and email. So I started focusing everything on that objective. And what I realized was less is more. That the more I would, instead of packing all the stuff in on the page, click here, click here, click here, all this compelling stuff, things that you could entertain yourself with or explore or get into a loop with that and then up in the corner have your you know join my newsletter or whatever uh offer there you got 10 other links you've just limited your chances to one in 10 that that's going to be the thing that they choose there's always going to be something more interesting to kind of scratch that itch right Mm -hmm. and so i started instead of having everything be clickable and ready, I would use the front page like the table of contents or the cover of Cosmo magazine. You know, when you're in the grocery store and you see all these compelling headlines on the cover of the magazine, but you've got to buy the magazine to read the article, right? It's what compels you Mm -hmm. to do that. So instead of saying, click here, I started saying free inside, more inside. 
page 13, all these things that were there. And then at the bottom of this little list of things, I would say free instant access. Just put your name and your email address and it unlocks all of it. That was the model of the very first uh, uh, squeeze page. And then what I did from there, I started then even simplifying it to where there's only one thing. And that's where if you, you know, you look at um, emailmastery.com or you look at 90minutebook.com, that those are I'm typically offering a book as the thing, because that's compelling to everybody. We still revere books, that that's mm -hmm. something that's uh, a shortcut for value. And when I go, when you go to the page, it's the only option. There's no other information. All I want to do is confirm to people, yes, you're in the right place. Yeah, this is where you get the email mastery book. Just put your name and email and it's yours. And so there's no other options that people, you know, you look at uh, Robert Cialdini talks about the one of the weapons of influence is commitment and consistency. So if somebody's, if I offer somebody a book in an ad at emailmastery.com, they go to emailmastery.com. There's no new information but it confirms that this is where you get the free book. Mm -hmm. Then they'd have to question their sanity of <laughs> why would I have gone here? Like if you're walking down the street and you see a sandwich sign that says free popsicles, unit 32 with an arrow pointing in and you open up the door and you walk down the hall and there's unit 32 and there's a confirmation on the thing that says free popsicles. There's not a chance that you would walk all the way down there, say, yep, that's the place, and then turn around and walk back out. <laughs> you went down the hall in the first place because you wanted a popsicle. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's the thing where people click on websites because they want the thing that you compelled them. The, the real thing was compelling them to type that in or click there in the first place. Yeah. And, and once they click there, we're not adding any new information. Saying, hey, welcome, you're in the right place. One so more step, put your name in just confirming their bias at that point, huh? That's great. So that that reminds me, like as, as you're saying all of these things, and it's, I'm like, wow, like our best performing ads, even our clients' best performing ads have, have always been like, here's what we're offering, and this is exactly what you're getting once you get to the landing page. Mm -hmm. And then when we've seen a drop off is when we, like even as marketers, like we tend to overcomplicate it on how yeah. it could be prettier, how it could have yeah. more engagement. And add new information and you start yeah. convincing. Yeah. The convincing out of the way, just compel them and make sure, yeah, this is the thing you wanted. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's the thing. I always love the, I'm, like, I'm a book title fanatic. Here's a great one, one of my favorites. Read this if you want to take great photographs. Now, if you, <laughs> awesome. if you had a course on photography, if you have a master class or workshops or any of that thing, wouldn't you want to be in conversation with people who want that book? Right. And yeah. so the only thing, if you were to offer this book for free and then you get there and all of a sudden they go there and it starts convincing you talking about how great these workshops are and the courses that you have and all of the things are like, Oh, I didn't want now it's trying to sell me on these courses trying to move me beyond this. Let's just focus on 
yes, you're in the right place. Here's the book. Now you That's can start educating and motivating people. So you welcome them as soon as they, uh, you know, I'd say use the opt-in button as a magic portal that brings people right to your office. And as soon as they press submit, what would you do if they were, you know, magically transported to your office? They mm -hmm. knock on the door, poke their head in and say, hey, I'm here about the how to take great photographs book. Welcome, come right on in, <laughs> you know, and that how would you have that conversation then, you know? Yeah, ah, it's so great. There's so much more we can dive into. I like the like, as far as you know, the A profit activators going mm -hmm. going in depth with that. But book titles, I want to talk about book titles really quickly. Um, okay. And one of my favorite kind, one of my favorite stories is about Tim Ferriss and oh, yeah. his book title that originally was something completely crazy and you guys had a discussion and simplified it mm -hmm. um can you kind of just walk through that story and how yeah that's one know. of those great this is a fun thing because tim uh he was one of the first guests that we had on i love marketing yeah We've known him since before the the book before the four hour work week but originally his book was going to be called uh drug dealing for fun and profit was the uh, title because that's essentially he was selling supplements and uh, you know traveling all over the world doing it uh, you know, had an automated system for doing it but the four hour work week is one of those things that it's I call those name it and claim it titles where you see that and you go oh man I want that and we talk about you know Dave Ramsey's book financial peace is one of those words, one of those titles that you're like, oh, I want that. That's the same thing. This is one of those, right? Read this if you want to take great photographs of people. Yeah, that's what I want, right? I'm going to hold that's, this to my yeah. chest and, and that's the thing. The thing that people don't really realize is that consuming, making the decision to get a book is a really easy kind of illusion of making progress on something without actually having to do anything, right? Like going, that's why having a book offer as an opt-in will outperform a webinar as the offer because you don't have to actually invest the time to do it, right? You can download the book and get that instantly and feel like you made progress in the service of future team. Yeah. Not, you know, present Dean doesn't have to spend his time watching a webinar or doing it there. Now, let's leave that for future Dean's going to have plenty of time to curl up with a coffee and read this, uh, <laughs> read this book. But that's why the reality is that most people that buy books even never open them. Mm -hmm. you know, over 50% of the people who buy books never open them. And they didn't know that until digital books until the kindle and kobo data mm -hmm. became available and so it's but it's the reality i mean both of you all of us have bought books and never opened them yeah. because you were compelled that yeah i need that or let's buy that for future josh yeah, yeah exactly that's that's awesome i love the the whole name it and claim it yeah um stop your divorce that's mm -hmm. that's something that i kind of want to yeah 
talk to you a little bit about what so kind of taking it back to the landing page or the squeeze the squeeze page you know originally asking for just their name and email was that one of the first things that you applied that to or stop your divorce yeah stop your divorce was one of the first ebooks about something other than how to make money selling ebooks it was gotcha. like a real uh, a real thing you know and that coincided with the um the beginning of pay-per-click advertising where mm -hmm. there was a company in the very beginning called goto.com and they were up the first pay-per-click search engine which then became uh, overture.com they were bought by yahoo and then uh, google came out with their adwords uh, project and that was the beginning so now you could buy any search term, whenever somebody's searching for something you could buy and to this day still buy the top three positions and show up when people are uh when people are searching i love it mm -hmm. i think i think i'm kind of you know i the other questions that i have would probably run us over another hour and a half <laughs> so that. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna almost... pull off on those maybe until a, a later date. But Michael, do you have anything else that you wanna? Absolutely. Um, what would your advice be to anyone real estate professional that is serious about growing their business, um, who's still resisting the self milking cow concept? Mm. Well, I, I think when you start looking at it, that the good news is. You can set up the, the, you know, before unit of your business, the lead generation part, delivering people who want to sell their house or who want to buy a house. That's really the bottom line of what has to happen, right? And I think you, know, you look at it as the other option is people are on a hamster wheel, making cold calls or door knocking or chasing fizzbuzz and expires where things that you've got to do the manual prospecting, it's so much more relaxing to have a system, a systematic way of generating business without you having to do anything. You know, that's that's the first thing I would automate is automate a way that, you know, there's a real possibility. That's why I call our my podcast the listing agent lifestyle that building, I think that the secret going forward is building a listing centric business that supports an amazing lifestyle for you. That's not, you know, because right now you can get everything about the real estate business supported for you, you know, and you can choose to have it so that all you do, if we draw the milk line on what are the super most valuable things, it'd be you want to be in the kitchen talking to people who are about to list their house or you want to be in the car showing houses to people who are about to buy if they find the right one today you want to be negotiating those contracts to get an agreement for the thing but those aside from those three things every other thing can be done by farmers if you get a listing, you should be able to come back to the office with the signed listing and have that trigger a whole sequence of events that has nothing to do with you. 
that should be you guys come out and do the photography you set up all the marketing things all of that gets put into place it gets put in the mls the uh everything is set up when people want to show it it goes through a service that organizes the showings for you and you you get involved again when somebody wants to put in an offer oh offer okay we can come and now negotiate that offer because that's a high value thing that you are the catalyst. You can make a big difference in that, right? But once you get a contract, there's every other element. There's entire industry on transaction coordination that you should be able to, for a few hundred dollars, be able to walk in with a contract, hand it to a transaction coordinator, and everything else happens without you having to get involved in that. So I would be driving my way towards that outcome and then even evolving from there to where you're not, now you replace the buying stuff with showing agents who go out and show the houses. And then when they find one, you negotiate the contract. And then maybe they get to the point where you can let them handle the entire buying transaction. Now, all of a sudden, you're making commissions that you never even meet the people. That's where the real magic is. And then you start getting listing partners. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you've got a business now. You know, that's the evolution. I love that. Thank that's you beautiful. so much. Mm-hmm. Everybody, please go visit ilovemarketing.com. Watch all of the I Love Marketing podcasts, Listing Agent Lifestyle, More Cheese, Less Whiskers, Joy of Procrastination. Mm. There's so much stuff, so much to choose from. So think, many options. I mean, quite of- honestly, anyone that's looking to build a business, just go to deanjackson.com. Start with <laughs> Breakthrough DNA. Right yeah. Breakthrough DNA has quite honestly built our business. Mm. You know, it really has. So thank you, Dean. Um, And I know for a fact that with the people, whenever we're talking about how do you guys have so many lead magnets? Like think about your before unit. Don't know what that is. Breakthrough blueprint. Yeah. So that's it. And that's um, orchestrating referrals, right? That's Mm -hmm. right. Exactly. Look at you. There we go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Always fun.